Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope. I gotta be honest, it's not very often that I stand in front of people and my knees are going like this. And I, it's been a process for us. What a grand adventure to come to this place. And if I'm being even more transparent, one of the most difficult things for me to wrestle with as we anticipated taking a position like this is I'm a keen observer of hairstyle and I noticed that most of the senior leadership in this church that are male um, sport a certain hairstyle that I wasn't quite prepared for. I won't mention it. I wa- <laughs> was a couple of weeks ago making jokes like this became massively unpopular from the stage and so I was afraid to even bring it up so I'm just going to let the whole thing go. Just looking for someone to come up and cuff me. That's why I'm just, where's it coming? Thank you. What a great opportunity for myself and my family. What a grand adventure the last two or three months has been. Totally terrifying and so good. So thank you for that. Thank you for, to the leadership team here, to Pastor Paul, the rest of the leadership team, and for you as a church um, for giving us this opportunity. We're excited about what God is doing in the community of Grand Forks and really thrilled to be part of it. Now can we switch gears? Palm Sunday. Historically, a day where Jesus, a roughly 33-year-old human being, entered into the city of Jerusalem as was captured on the video to celebration to hosannas, to palm branches, cloaks being laid out on the road in front of him. A massive celebration which really marked the culmination of decades of ministry, decades of work. And not just the culmination of his human life on earth, but there was also the beginning of this final week, what we call the Holy Week or the Passion Week. A week that was going to be full of confrontation, Challenges, invitation, teaching, clarification, more discipleship. And sadly, but not sadly, in retrospect, a week that would end in the execution of Jesus because he refused to back down from his previous claims that he truly was the king of the universe. Matthew records... This short journey into the city of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21, you can certainly read along with me the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 21, Matthew writes this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before them, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem 
the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. If there was any doubt up until this moment, you know, in some of Jesus' ministry, he had been a little bit more subtle about some of his claims, almost as if he knew if he was too bold about some of his claims in the wrong crowds, this week would unfold too soon. But now it didn't matter anymore. Now the time had come where Jesus made a bold, outright, and very public claim about who he was. Verse 5 tells us, and I believe Jesus was doing it very purposely, that this was ultimately the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament prophets from hundreds of years ago had been proclaiming for a long, long time. That a king was coming. That the Son of God would redeem his people and create something new out of what was old. And as he rode into the city of Jerusalem, there was no doubt about what Jesus was saying regarding his mission. Maybe that's what confused people. We can't say for sure, but it seems as though some people were expecting something very, very different in the coming days, the days following the triumphant entry. Maybe they were expecting some political liberator. Maybe they were expecting someone who would free them from the rule of the Roman Empire. The Jewish people had been under the thumb of the Romans for decades. And perhaps they were waiting for someone that would give them more of a a political freedom And so later in the week, we already understand that if it wasn't these people, there was certainly a silent group of people on this triumphal entry day, Palm Sunday, that later in the week became the loud voice, the majority, screaming for his execution. But political liberation was not the mission of Jesus, was it? Political liberation wasn't his mission. His mission was a spiritual one. This morning, instead of just digging into this one passage, I want you to go on a a look at this from a different perspective. Imagine the movie camera on the end of a big boom crane, and at the end of the movie, the camera pans out, and we get to see a little bit bigger of a picture. We're going to look at this moment through a slightly wider lens, And we see that this moment in time isn't a moment, it's the culmination of a mission. And the mission, as we've said, wasn't a political one. It was the capstone of a 33 years of mission, of ministry, of work. And you might even call it 33 years of, are you ready? Investing and inviting. See what I did there? Some of you here last week, you saw that one coming. Investing and inviting. Jesus stated his mission somewhat differently. He said this in Luke chapter 19, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Invest and invite. John 3.17 is right after the end zone verse, that one that's always on a postcard, a postcard, (laughs) A placard in the end zone of a football game, John 3.16. Right after that, we read these words, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He came to invest and invite. Last week, Jason talked about the woman at the well. One of the many examples of where Jesus invested in the life of an individual, invited that person to follow him, and that person in turn went and invested in others and invited them to follow him. 
If you pan that camera out, you realize that Jesus spent the last three years where, where 12 specific disciples spent almost every waking moment of their lives with Jesus as he invested and invited them and inspired them to do the same. And the truth is, if we're going to continue to grow in our ability to be church, the kind of people who follow the example of Jesus, we will also become the people that invest and invite. And as we do so, as the camera pans out and we explore the life of Jesus, some realities start settling in. My contention this morning is that if we don't wrestle with those realities and come to grips with them, they will always hinder our ability to invest well. So let's explore those realities this morning and see just exactly what it is we have to come to grips with. And the first reality might be stated this way. Investing and inviting the way Jesus is calling us to may come at a cost. That's the one we don't love to talk about, but it's the flip side of the coin. It's the flip side of the motivation that there may be a price to pay. Consider Jesus for just a moment. How did this mission even start? Well, Jesus, we know, was the king of the universe. Jesus had all the creature comforts of what you and I one day look forward to, the heavenly kingdom. Jesus had no reason other than his love and his compassion and his hurt and his desire to save you and me to leave the creature comforts of heaven. Yet Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we ought to be the same, our attitude ought to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality, be, equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung to, but he gave it up and became human and dwelt among us. You don't think investing and inviting may come at a cost? The very beginning of the mission that Jesus came to earth for began by him completely giving up everything that was good for him. And then he hit the road on earth. Matthew chapter 12 verse 14 says that after healing a lame man and the Sabbath, the Pharisees were so upset with his, his overlooking, his, his callousness towards the Sabbath laws that they wanted to do what? Kill him. Again, easy solution. You have invested, you have invited, we don't like the way you're taking this, you need to die. Matthew chapter 13, just a few verses later, they can't believe that the son of a carpenter could possibly be spewing forth this kind of wisdom. So instead of giving him credit for being wise and good and godly, what did they say about him? You're a fraud. It's just one chapter. And Jesus has gone from the king of the universe, comfortable in heaven, gave it all up completely, then invested and invited people, and they've decided he should die and that he's a complete fraud. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus gets a little more bold and he tells them what they're doing in a parable about a vineyard where the master of the vineyard keeps sending his servants to take the harvest and the tenants beat and murder the servants. So he sends more servants and they beat and murder those servants. So finally, what does he do? It's foreshadowing. He sends his son. And the tenants think to themselves, if we beat and kill the son, the vineyard will be ours. We don't need the master anymore. And Jesus looks right at the religious leaders of his time and said, that's what you're doing. You've done it to the prophets and now you're doing it to the son of God. 
and he allowed it because he understood that when we invest in others, there's a price to pay. Don't hear me wrong. When we invest and invite others, many will receive the message with eagerness, with joy, with anticipation, and will come to be followers of Jesus Christ who in turn invest and invite others. But some, if Jesus is an example, will make you pay. John chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates me, Jesus, don't be mistaken. There will be those who hate you. It's a simple concept. I'm the master, you are the servants. No servant is greater than the master. So if they hated me, they're going to hate you because of me, in part because you boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Of course, it's not a license to be mean or nasty or confrontational. It's simply a reality check. It's simply a reality check that if you invite people to walk the narrow road, many of them will say, but I prefer the wide road. And may even give you some grief because of it. It's to say that when we take our role as church seriously and we invest and invite, there may be some pushback. As I consider that in my own life, there's an uncomfortable reality that I start to wrestle with. The fear of the pushback often prevents me of taking the step at all. The fear of the pushback makes me wonder if investing and inviting and pouring my heart and taking some risks and introducing people to Jesus is worth it because I don't think it's going to cost me my life as it did Jesus, but it surely can be uncomfortable. The price is there. It may just be an inconvenience. It may just be the fact that it's not fun at times. It may involve my time. It may involve some of my finances. My feelings might get hurt. There might be some nasty pushback where I might even get called some names. <gasps> and the fear of all that stuff, though perfectly normal, is it puts just a little bit of fear in my heart. And I don't fulfill the mission. It seems to me that if there were one thing God would want us to hear in that moment in our lives, if I understand the character of God correctly, as he has challenged us to follow the example of Jesus, I hear the Father saying to us, relax, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Can you almost hear your dad or maybe one of your sports coaches saying, hey kid, rub some dirt on it. You're going to be fine. Maybe you look at me and say, well, you're a callous dude. Well, probably, because I grew up with three brothers and I was pretty far down the line of the three brothers. Um, homes with four boys and no sisters are not homes that are known for their gentleness and compassion. I can remember as a young boy, skinny, scrawny little white kid getting the stomach flu. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This was a regular occurrence. Not the stomach flu, but I mean what followed. Skinny little white kid getting the stomach flu. 
and I can remember my family sitting at the dinner table or the kitchen table playing cards in the evening or something, but the sick kid, in this case me, was the one laying in bed or on the couch making frequent trips at about 42 miles an hour from the bedroom past the kitchen to the bathroom. This, okay. Now, you put three boys and my dad at a dinner table, and suddenly, out of nowhere, is a skinny little white kid, now a strange shade of pale green, wearing nothing but a pair of tidy whiteies, okay, screaming through the kitchen at 42 miles an hour, only to hear a door slam, and at the other end, his face in this echo chamber, known the toilet, making ridiculous sounds. Three brothers and a dad aren't taking that moment very seriously, I'm just going to say. And you could hear them laughing in the background and in between, you know. You couldn't help but smirk a little. It's like, I feel really bad, but they're laughing so hard back there. It's really hard for me to take this moment seriously. And you might think, well, that's so cold. And I don't think it is. You see, my brothers and my dad, they're looking at this whole event from a really different perspective. I'm the one embroiled in it. I'm the one facing the difficult. But these guys are outside of it. They've actually panned out and said, dude, it's not that serious. You got the stomach flu. By tomorrow, you'll feel better. In fact, judging by the sounds you're making, you're probably feeling better right now. (laughs) They're seeing the future as if it's already present. And so they can look at my situation and go, dude, we're not, we care for you, but the fact of the matter is we know you're going to be okay, so trust us, it's fine. And in a strange kind of way, even as a kid, that feels pretty good. Like when you're scared and nobody around you is feeling the same fear, you come to the conclusion that you probably don't need to be afraid or miserable. I wonder if We couldn't feel the same about the comfort from the Heavenly Father. Even in the midst of the fear of investing and inviting others, the Heavenly Father, not mocking our fear or our hurt, not not being callous to, to the discomfort we feel, not callous to the idea that investing in others is probably gonna cost us something, but rather smiling down on us and saying, it's okay. This isn't that scary. It's, at worst, it's a... It's a flesh wound. You'll be fine. Trust me. Can you just hear the Heavenly Father saying, look, if anybody knows that it's going to be okay, I've kind of been through this. You'll be fine. Still not sure? (laughs) Great lead in. Tell us how hard it's going to be to invest and invite. Not sure I've convinced you, but walk with me a little further. You might be thinking, after all, you're talking about Jesus, and I, you, we're not Jesus. You might even be thinking, I'm not even from the Bible. I don't, I don't really know how to process all of this. It's not going to work that way for, me, for you. And I have even better news for you. According to pretty much literally every story in the Bible, and just to be clear, when I say literally, I literally mean literally as opposed to most of culture today, which when they use the word literally, actually mean metaphorically, symbolically. I literally mean literally. Literally, every story of the Bible helps paint another reality for us. Investing and inviting others is never ever dependent on our ability. So we've pulled the camera back from Palm Sunday and we realized it's, it's 
a lot bigger than just this one moment, that this is really the culmination of an entire life of investing and inviting. And so then we pull the camera back even a little further, and we go all the way back in history, and we start taking stock of all the characters in history and how God used them, who they were, how God used them, and then how they were remembered. Let's do it with just a couple of examples. Abraham is a total liar. Multiple times because he was afraid, he kept lying about his wife because she was beautiful and thought that the king would take advantage of her, so he lied and said, she's my sister, didn't turn out well. A couple generations later, Jacob, if you look up the word shyster in the dictionary, Jacob's name ought to be there. He is the the definition of a shyster who uses absolutely inappropriate means to get to an inappropriate end, unscrupulous methods to achieve a selfish end. Jacob. Moses, a man who called by God argues with him so vehemently that in the book of Exodus it says that God's anger raged against this man. The only thing I can think of is as a parent with that one child who does not understand the concept of no is a parent. Have you not stepped back and gone, oh my goodness. One child in every family doesn't understand no. No simply means so I need to ask in a different way. And they go, and they go, and they go. And finally, Moses did it with God. It says God's anger burned against Moses. He said, fine, I'll send someone to help you. uh, Gideon, (laughs) my favorite, Gideon is so afraid of the Midianites that he takes his grain and he hides in the basement of the wine press and he's threshing his grain there so the Midianites won't come. And an angel comes to call him and he says, greetings, brave warrior. (laughs) Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. David, unlike Moses, didn't just have murder on his rap sheet. David added adultery. And we haven't even got to the New Testament yet. Now we get to the 12 disciples. These are not beautiful men. They are crude fishermen. They have a dirty job. They likely have foul mouths. These are are the dregs of a society that itself isn't exactly cultured and clean. But we fast forward after God has invested in these people and used them to invest and invite others And it's an amazing story. These people, inherently human and broken and unskilled as they were, all called upon to complete a mission and in retrospect remembered for their faithfulness. Man, if that doesn't give us hope, what does? Think on it. Abraham the liar, known as the father of Israel. Jacob, the shyster, the patriarch of the Israelite nation. Moses, the murderer, a friend of God. Gideon, the coward, defeats entire armies with 300 men. David, the murderer and adulterer, a man after God's own heart. Check me on all of this. It's all in your Bible and I'm quoting much of it. The 12 disciples, crude fishermen, now known as the apostles. Many of them writing large chunks of what today we call the New Testament. Some of them martyred for the faith. And many people coming to Jesus because of their testimony. 
seems to me the perfect example of what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Consider your calling to invest and invite. That's not in there. I added it. Consider your calling. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. The mission of Jesus came at a cost, and by virtue of the fact the mission to invest and invite others for us will likely come at a cost. What a wonderful story. The success of that mission does not depend on your ability. Instead, God looked at you and said, you're going to need some help. And he left you the Holy Spirit, who now accomplishes a mission through his faithful people that is far beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine. You see, it doesn't depend on you, your ability, your skill, your power, your, bro- your bravado, even if you're gifted at speaking. It just takes your willingness to follow the example of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you in the situations he gives you. So ultimately, if you're feeling a little inadequate this morning, feeling like you're probably not up to this task, to this mission of investing and inviting, then the good news is that you are exactly where you need to be. You are primed to invite God to work through you and then step back and see what he does. Humble, broken, your life a little messy, perfect. You're right where God needs you. You're just like everybody else, and God is eager to use you to invest in the life of others. And, and because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't really matter how good you are. Jesus looks at you and says, all that matters is how awesome I am. Still not convinced? There's a little more, as if there needs to be Yes, it may come at a cost. The good news is it doesn't depend on your ability. But thirdly, investing and inviting will always and ever be totally worth it. After Jesus accomplished his earthly mission, he came upon the early church in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the early church, in a way unprecedented in history, began to invest and invite others by the power of this Holy Spirit. The remaining disciples, many more, but the fishermen included, not known for their courage or their understanding or their intellect, you could find them reasoning in the synagogues evangelizing and baptizing in the streets, boldly proclaiming the gospel, many of them under the threat of losing their lives, and it didn't scare them away, it only emboldened them all the more. Paul writes from prison, I'm thankful for my imprisonment because if nothing else, it has served to advance the gospel beyond anything that I could have done outside of prison. These are people who understand that this investment has such a huge payoff that when you do the math, the cost is always worth it. 
In Acts chapter 2, we read that as a result of their emboldened courage, people were being saved on a daily basis. Do you know that in one spot in Acts chapter 2, and I don't know how, we don't know exactly how big society was at this point, but in one spot in Acts chapter 2, it said they were preaching and pro- boldly proclaiming the gospel, and in one day, 3,000 people were added to their number and baptized. Not because they were amazing, but because God was working through a faithful and obedient people. Yes, you should count the cost, but you must remember that when you anticipate the results, the cost is always worth it. Not long after the events of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, Matthew records, or the last words of Jesus that Matthew records are in Matthew chapter 28. We know it today as the Great Commission, but it captures the mission perfectly. It reads this way. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Make disciples of all the nations. Invest. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Let me share what I hear. Same words, this is what I hear Jesus saying to you and to me. There, I have fully, perfectly, and completely shown you what to do. And I've given you the ultimate example. Now it's your turn. While you're doing whatever it is that you do, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to invest and invite people into relationship with me, Jesus, the King of the universe. I've got this. It's going to be okay. Remember, and I love what Jason said last week, remember, says Jesus to us, you're not inviting people to church. You're inviting people to the gospel. You're inviting them to consider a relationship with me, the king of the universe, who loves you so much, I lay down my life for you. To be sure, it may hurt a little along the way. There will be some bruises, but it will be okay. I will be with you, and I will strengthen you, and the end result will not depend on how good you are, but on how awesome I am. And remember, Despite your fear and the cost, it will be worth every ounce of energy that you expend 
in investing and inviting others to be in relationship with me. I showed you how. Now it's your turn.